1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
2: Hi, friends. It's Ryan again here to present our second of four new shows for you to check out. This one is called Blood and Syrup. It's a Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition podcast. When the sun goes down, the undead rise and they are thirsty. Featuring everybody's favorite storyteller, Tom McGee, When a high-profile assassination leaves Montreal without a vampiric ruler, gangster Ridley Beef, played by Ryan LaPlante, detective Evry Fry, played by Tyler Hewitt, and inspirational poet Iris Dunn, played by Megan Miles, all recently turned vampire, are sent to establish new order at all costs with the help of two ancient vampiric syrup barons. But when one of their own is attacked... Things get messy and blood and syrup will be spilled. So please enjoy this pilot episode of Blood and Syrup. We did do what's called a session zero where we built the characters that has sort of some spoilers for backstory and other stuff. You can find that through any of the regular postings, but we wanted you to dive right into the story. So please enjoy Blood and Syrup.
3: Welcome, children of the night, to Blood and Syrup, a vampire, the masquerade live play podcast. I am your host, Count Vlad von Lestat, drinker of blood, keeper of the Chronicle, and all around spooky dude. <laughs> Tonight's story introduces our cast of recently-turned vampires, played by Tyler Hewitt, Ryan LaPlante, and Megan Miles, as they begin their descent into darkness, led by storyteller Tom McGee, now, if you would like to hear how they made their characters, check out episode zero. Otherwise, it is time to enter a world of darkness, a world of blood, a world of syrup. Abandon hope are you who listen here. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. For as long as most people can remember, there's been a certain order to the world, a certain amount of control, certain systems, uh, certain people... Uh, Certain ruling classes there, of course, there were people who were downtrodden, but for a long time, there's been order to this world. But all that has begun to change. Our story tonight begins at the top of the CN Tower, one of the tallest buildings in the world, hallmark of Toronto, uh, that is, of course, closed for the evening closed except for uh, one floor overlooking the city, uh, the city that is is controlled by all manner of groups, uh, and tonight it is hosting a, a very strange meeting in, in the world of, uh, of the undead. The Archbishop of Montreal, Alfred Benzeri, has arrived uh, on a certain summons, called back from the beckoning which has dragged most of the elder vampires to the Middle East. He's been called to account for some things that have been going on in Montreal as one of the main leaders of the Sabbat, the the splinter group that believes that the Apocalypse is Nigh and is currently attempting to bring it to light in the Middle East. His presence in Canada is particularly upsetting both to him and to his followers. Nevertheless, a chance to meet with some of the higher-ups from the Camarilla is always a, a rare opportunity for a Sabbat, and as a result, he's taken the meeting. We follow him into a large restaurant, with massive bay windows overlooking the city. He joins another um, very austere member of the Camarilla, and together they sip from a chained and blindfolded human at their feet and discuss matters. But quickly they realize that neither of them truly knows why the other one is there, both assumed that the invitation had come from the other, and only too late do they realize it was a trap. In a blinding flash of fire and sunlight... The entire room is obliterated, killing the Archbishop and one of the heads of the Camarilla. The people of Toronto, who are out at night, along with some of the creatures who inhabit it, look up to the skies and see their grand tower alight with fire. There's always been order to this world. But tonight, that order collapses. Welcome, everybody, to Vampire the Masquerade, Blood and Syrup. Yay! Uh, This is our very first episode. If you're just joining us, uh, we had a prequel episode um, where we talked through character creation, uh, episode zero, session zero, that you can go listen to right now. But if you're just joining us, don't worry. You will still get to meet the characters and still get to join us in the story, for we're just getting underway. So, to an average person, tonight's a night like any other. But to each of you, it is the start, the start of something new, the start of a new life, a new life in a new strange place. That place, of course, is the beautiful city of Montreal. Each of you is arriving in Montreal in a different form. Each of you comes from a different way of life. Each of you kind of has a different way of, of carrying yourself. But all of you have been summoned to try and create a foothold for the Camarilla, the ruling body of vampire society in Montreal, Montreal, for years, has been a stronghold of the Sabbat, a group of generally kind of anachronistic, apocalyptic, chaos-worshipping vampires who kind of live on the fringe of society, and they have held Montreal in their talons for, at this point, at least a century and a half. Uh, The Camarilla have attempted to take the city several times, each time they've failed, Uh, However, with all of the elder vampires being called uh, to the east to try and awaken ancient vampires and begin the vampire apocalypse, all of which matters not at all to you, uh, there's a sudden opportunity. And each of you, through various circumstances and misfortunes, uh, find yourselves on the hook for these things. So you've been sent to Montreal, specifically uh, to a small, 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 small town. Town is perhaps too kind a term for it. Um, about an hour outside of Montreal, deep in the forest, uh, and you're to meet your contacts there. So, <clears throat> I'm going to have each of you introduce yourselves uh, just kind of as, not necessarily in character, but to the the listeners at home and to each other, uh, and then we'll figure out how each of you is arriving. So, uh, we have uh, three players at the table here. Uh, we've got Tyler Hewitt, we've got Megan Miles, and we have Ryan LaPlante, each of which will be playing one of our series leads.
1: Uh, yep, this is Tyler Hewitt here, and I will be playing uh, Everett Fry. Um, he is a uh, ex-cop, now sort of private eye. Um, also ex-human, now vampire. Uh, and so he's a vampire detective, is what I've written down as his, his concept on my character sheet. What do you look like? Um, I went for kind of a uh, typical private eye, kind of traditional noir look, even though this isn't our... Uh, <coughs> Excuse me, even though this isn't our, like, Cthulhu campaign or anything <laughs> like that. I, I So I, I think, like, a trench coat uh, and, a, and a wide-brimmed hat.
2: If you had to choose, like, a celebrity. Um, Bad Hollywood casting.
1: Yeah, yeah. Probably, like, maybe Harrison Ford then. Cool. And, like, Harrison Ford's from Blade Runner for the coat and then Harrison Ford from Indiana Jones for the hat. <laughs> <laughs> and Harrison Ford from Harrison Ford for the face. Yeah. Uh, but he, he is actually from uh, the American South, so he has a southern accent.
3: Excellent. Uh, yeah. So, Tyler, I'm going to say that Everett is uh, arriving in a beaten up car um, that he has driven sort of up from uh, the American South. He's been driving for days and days, uh, having only recently become a kindred, uh, a vampire. He has been learning the hard way um, how difficult it is to find dark places to hide uh, during the day and as a result has been getting rather inventive with where he parks his car Hmm. and and how he he does it. So I'd say kind of the interior of your car is is pretty filthy at this point. You've got newspapers kind of wadded up everywhere from having to kind of tape up your windows, garbage bags, all that sort of stuff. Um, but you know, you need to get to Montreal as soon as possible, uh, because that was part of the arrangement and as a result, you're, you're making haste. Uh, so you're currently driving your car sort of, uh, along increasingly ill-kept roads, uh, as you kind of get deeper and deeper into, uh, sort of the heart of Quebec. Uh, Megan, who are you?
4: Um. Hi, I'm Megan. <laughs> um, I will be playing, uh, Iris Dunn, who is kind of a self help guru, a poet kind of a uh, motivational speaker who just wants to make the world a better and kinder and more equal place. Um, she's very well, she's m- moderately famous. Um, and she has, a. Uh, long jet black hair. She kind of, uh, medium height and, uh, kind of Sophia Vergara curves. She's just a, a very, um, outspoken person who, uh, isn't afraid to speak what, uh, she thinks.
3: Cool. So, um, Iris, I'm going to say that, uh, you're arriving on, uh, you're flying first class, um, on a jet. Yeah. Um, you're mm-hmm. actually flying into Quebec city rather than into Montreal um, but uh, you have uh, you've been told that someone will be waiting to pick you up. Uh, your your agent has assured you that uh, transportation will be uh, sorted out upon your arrival. Um, and as you know, Emily never fucks up. Uh, so you're currently um, sitting in first class. Uh, I think maybe staring down at uh, a drink. Uh, what do you think, Iris's drink of choice would have been?
4: <clears throat> bourbon.
3: So you're staring down at a bourbon with kind of a gradually melting. Um, cube of ice in it uh, with kind of a, a frustrated look on your face because as you've come to discover the human flavors you enjoyed uh, don't taste the same in your kindred form. So even though you can drink it and imbibe it, it's just not the same. Motherfucker. <laughs> uh, Ryan,
2: who are you? Oh, so, I mean, in real life, I'm Ryan Laplante. Uh But <laughs> in the game, I play a gentleman known as Ridley Beef, a.k.a. The Riddler. <laughs> uh, he's, like, a British gangster originally, like, cockney, kind of low class, um, very street level, uh, to give, like, a physical comparison. It's probably, like, a middle, like, young to middle-aged Bob Hoskins, but specifically with the haircut, glasses, and mustache of uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character from Charlie Wilson's War. <laughs> Please look that up. It's very specific, uh, but it is exactly how I picture this guy looking. Uh, he's always wearing, like... So he's sort of short and stocky. He's got, like, it, tattoos that would be embarrassing for somebody else. Like, there's always something inherently ridiculous about him. He's wearing a suit that's probably kind of nice, but it doesn't fit, so it looks really cheap. Uh, yeah, he's it's just like Corner Street thug.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Cool. Uh, so... Ridley, uh, I'm going to say you are on the Via Rail train, which is kind of uh, Canada's equivalent of the Amtrak. Um, so it's a uh, a well-appointed car. Uh, you had to time it pretty carefully to make sure that you'd only be traveling uh, at night. Um, you kind of boarded at dusk and um, you are getting off at a small town just outside of Montreal uh, where you've been told to expect a, a pickup. Um, what do you think you'd be doing on the train?
2: I'd probably just be like sitting there like i I don't think he's a terribly brilliant man like that's not his strength so i think it's a lot of like looking out the window turning brain off if i don't know what i'm going there for specifically then i just have to wait for information so it's like the goal is to try not to make assumptions cool
3: yeah um i will say you have been given uh instructions um in the sort of greater sense um by uh your handlers at uh, the note Nostra. The, uh, the vampiric um, mafia, essentially, um, back in Europe. Uh, that said, they basically told you, go meet up with a contact, and they'll give you more information. So it's one of those horrible, you know what you're
2: going to do, but also don't have any details. Cool, then I'm probably cracking my knuckles occasionally.
3: <laughs> okay, great. Um, so the three of you converge on your various locations, um, and in short order, um, you find um, Tyler, I think you, you drive your car kind of like, a an agreed upon pickup location um and uh let's say we start with uh yeah iris we'll start with you um you uh, arrive uh the plane touches down you uh sort of you can see that a couple people kind of recognize you as you make your way through the airport um in fact um a uh a young girl runs up to you um with a copy of one of your books And, uh, has a pen and is kind of like thrusting it out at you, um, asking for an autograph.
4: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I bend down and ask her name and scribble away a a quick little hi and nice to meet you. Cool.
3: Um, Um, you can tell that she's very, uh, she's very excited. Um, she's very kind of, um, like overjoyed, um, that, that you're, you're taking the time. Um, Emily's kind of standing nearby kind of glowering like this, this, this is an unnecessary waste of time. You got places to be. Um, that said, uh, very uncomfortably for you, uh, you can, you can sense the sort of joy pulsing, um, off this young girl. She's getting you to sign, uh, and kind of to your horror, uh, your teeth begin to throb a little bit. And, uh, as you continue to adjust to this, this new life you found yourself in since you returned, uh, as much as you see her as a fan and kind of a hope for the future, you now realize that your body is crying out for, for the kind of blood that this, uh, this person has. That said, given your disinterest in harming children, you kind of quickly finish your signature and continue on. But it's just a, yet another unfortunate reminder of your, your new place in the world. Um, Emily uh, shows you to a limo. Um, do you bring her with you? Yeah. Okay. So the two of you get in the limo. Uh, this is probably a good point to ask. Um, so Emily is your agent and your best friend. Does she know that you've become a kindred? Yes. She does? Okay. Wow. Uh, so you get in. She's made sure to get like the most tinted windows possible. As you drive, she continues to like tape tape stuff over the windows just to be doubly sure. Um, the limo actually takes you kind of deep into the woods and drops you off. Um, uh, so it's basically you and Emily waiting by the side of the road with bags when a beat-up Van rolls up, uh, and you can hear it's playing like a very, very like lively folk music. Um, and uh, the, the, there's kind of a scruffy-looking guy um, behind the wheel who starts waving furiously at you as he pulls up. Uh, and you can see he's wearing like just like plaid upon plaid oh, God. <laughs> uh, and jeans. And he rolls up and he rolls down the window and he says, "Hey, are you? Uh, are you? You are uh, Miss Iris, yes."
4: Yeah.
3: Ah, bon. Uh my name is uh Guy Bouchard. Uh, please, please get in, get in. Uh and you, you you oh, this lovely lady must be uh Emily.
4: Yes. Yes, it is Emily.
3: Um hello. Uh so uh Guy throws open the uh the van door uh and to your kind of uh you you're expecting something like this but not quite this. Uh inside you see Ridley uh kind of sitting in the very back and um I'm going to say Everett, where would you be sitting in the car? Uh, passenger seat Passenger seat, sure So, uh, Everett, you're sitting up front Um, and, uh, Iris, you and Emily kind of, uh, hop in Um, Everett and, uh Ridley, you were both picked up. Uh, previously, you've kind of been in the car for a while now. None of these locations were too close. Um, so you spent a bit of time with, uh, with Guy. Uh, At opposite we- ends of the van.
2: Yeah, I sit <laughs> as close to the back as possible looking like a surly used car salesman. <laughs> Silent.
3: Um, so Guy talks a mile a minute. And as as you get in, uh, I think, Iris, you kind of quickly realize that even though you're a little put off by this, these two guys have been listening, listening to this guy for, for quite some time. Um, so, uh, he explains that, uh, he and his, his brother, uh, Hugo have a, uh, a sugar shack, um, sort of deep in the, in the woods. And they're very excited that they've finally been activated because they've been waiting decades and decades and decades to finally get their chance to, uh, to start making moves for the Camarilla in, uh, in Montreal. So, um, as, as Guy drives, he's like pointing out, like sights in the woods. He's like, oh, over there we saw a Beaver once. He was very <laughs> funny. This is Beaver. Uh, and uh, over there, oh, there's great trees. Um, so as he continues to kind of talk at pace, uh, I'm going to say the three of you have a moment to check in. Now, all of you have been given a reason why you're being dispatched to Montreal. Really for you, um, the Note Nostra um, knows there's a lot of gang activity in Montreal, but with the Sabat controlling it, um, the Vampire Mafia has never had a chance to really make any inroads. But now uh, the Sabbat have abandoned the city to go try and bring about the end of the world, and as a result, there's an actual chance. So your handlers have, uh, and the queenpin of the Norte Nostra, uh, Regan Rowling, um, has tasked you with kind of trying to make inroads, um, and you've struck a deal with the Camarilla. They will allow you to operate uh, in North America so long as you disrupt Anarch operations. Um, The Anarchs, all of you are aware, are vampires who don't adhere to the structures and rules set up by the Camarilla, Uh, the most important of which is the Masquerade, which the game is named for. Um, The Masquerade is essentially a series of rules and tenets to maintain vampire uh, existence in humanity. So breaking the Masquerade is punishable by a blood hunt, which a couple of you have actually been victim of. Uh, previously um, and generally speaking, it's a good idea for all involved to kind of keep their heads down. That said, the anarchs um, have always been kind of looked down on by the the upper castes of of the Camarilla, and as a result, decided that maybe they're they're better off without them. And as a result, have kind of dedicated themselves to opening free states and and free cities. Uh, and as a result, have started to move in. So, Ridley, you've been tasked with doing this. Um, you were told to meet up with your Camarilla contacts. Evidently, the Bouchard brothers are are they. Um, but you're also told that you'd be working as part of a coterie. So in Vampire the Masquerade, uh, sort of a team, or uh, in D&D, you'd be like a party, is a coterie. So the three of you are going to form uh, the coterie that will be trying to make inroads for the Camarilla in Montreal. Um, Everett, um, your sire, um, essentially, when... Uh, when she turned you, commanded you to, um, kind of create Camarilla, advance Camarilla interests in Montreal. Uh, she knows that you're you you're sort of on a quest for justice, and that uh, you're incredibly good at sussing out uh, vampire activity. And given that the Anarchs are now seizing control of one of the major centers um, of vampire culture in the world, uh, she thought who better to kind of undercut their their paintings and kind of make way for a new Prince of Montreal. Than you. So you've been sent up here to do that. And luckily for you, uh, your old partner, uh, Harvey, uh, is working as a PI up in Montreal where he retired after uh, leaving the force um, to pursue his. Dream of stand-up comedy. Um, <laughs> so you're going to team up with him. Um, but essentially, of the three of you, you're the one with the, the closest
1: ties uh, to the Camarillo. Have I seen any of his sets yet?
2: <laughs> I was going to say, I can't <laughs> wait to hear Harvey's
3: first five. No, because uh, no, you haven't arrived <laughs> to Montreal yet. So no, you, you, oh, okay, you yeah, haven't seen right, right, any okay. of it. You, do, you, In fact, you haven't seen Harvey since he since he retired. Uh, yeah, it's okay. a long way from Texas to Montreal. So uh, you just never never quite got up here. But mm. damn it, he, he's following his dreams. <laughs> um, and Iris, for you, um, things with your brother got a little bit dicey back in Chicago, uh, which is one of the major centers of the Camarilla. And uh, as a result, you you were forced to show uh, a degree of your vampiric power in order to get him out of a scrape. And as a result, um, a blood hunt was called um, upon you. You managed to get out of town largely because as a fairly famous figure, your sudden disappearance or death would be rather strange. Also, the Camarilla and specifically your sire, uh, Walter Sims, a great patron of the arts, managed to pull some strings uh, and essentially get you reassigned as a Camarilla asset. But they're expecting great things from you. <sighs> and you know that there are certainly people back in Chicago who are not entirely pleased with the situation and that you're, you're still alive and kicking. Mm-hmm. Um, so the three of you are going to form a coterie. Uh, your goal um, in these early days is to establish a foothold in Montreal, um, the Bouchard brother is going to help you. Uh, you have a few minutes as, uh, he drives you to the sugar shack to discuss. Uh, so why don't you take a couple seconds to introduce yourselves and, uh, get to know each other.
1: Well, hi everyone back there. My name is, uh, Everett Fry. It's a pleasure to meet you. Well, who are you? Oh, you're looking at me. Hello, Gav. Yeah. So my name's Ridley Beef, but people
2: call me the Riddler. And you, Governess, you're fucking famous, ain't you?
4: Yeah, a little.
2: A little. No, no, no. My mum, she liked your poetry. She knew it. She read them all. Oh, yeah. Big yeah. fan yeah.
4: I, yeah, I am.
2: Making stories am. for the future, you are.
4: Trying to. I was until, you know, I got turned. Now it's just kind of all gone. So <laughs> yeah. here we are.
2: That's a fucking
1: shock when they do that, isn't it? Uh, what about you, up front? I'm a uh, private eye. I'm here to make some inroads for the... Uh... Camarillo okay so you're not really keeping secrets playing cards close to the vest type but I'm
2: assuming we're all working together with this fucking Bucci what's your name again up front
3: oh it's uh, it's Bouchard I understand it's a hard name for uh, English but don't worry we have a solution for you so you do not need to uh, keep hearing this uh, uh how you say uh, ridiculous uh, English uh, that you speak and uh, yeah we, we, we sort it out do not worry and he's been talking nonstop. Like he's still going he and just like, talking
1: over him. Uh, yeah, he doesn't really
3: notice. He just okay. he's just so excited to have other people to talk to. You get the sense he spends a lot of time in the woods with his brother, and uh, having some other people to talk to is pretty pretty good for him. Uh, he mentions something about being a courier de bois, and then just keeps talking. And he like points out where there used to be a river.
1: Does anybody else know any specifics as to why we're heading out here? Well, I mean, we've got to build some
2: sort of foothold in Montreal. Mm. But I mean, basically, this is. The guy who's the local. If you're looking at taking over some kind of fucking mafia, Montreal, whatever, you got to have a local who knows what's up, and then you go in and you fucking
1: bash them wherever you need to.
4: Mm, I, I I don't think that we're here to bash people.
1: Yeah, just the three of us doesn't sound like too good odds. You two are soft, eh? Because <laughs> I am a
2: fucking basher. If they're going to send me in there, it's because I want someone for me to shove my fist up their fucking ass, and then when they die, they know. Big fucking deal. No, this guy's into
1: some interesting shit, no? (laughs) Sounds like this guy's first through the door, Iris. Uh,
4: Sure, because I'm just here to talk my way in through those doors.
3: Sounds like a good idea to me. Also, I'm Emily. Um, Hi, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. Um, I I represent uh, Ms. Dunn, uh, so if you have any press inquiries or any booking uh, problems, uh, you can go through me. Uh, Emily is, I'm going to say, I look
2: at her like she's a space alien. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Um,
3: I I think she, she looks like Winona Ryder in, uh, Beetlejuice. Um, (laughs) like she's just like very small and kind of like trying to blend into the wall.
4: Yeah. She's trying to play the vampire, the vampire card without being a vampire. She's trying a bit too hard.
3: Yeah. So, um, smash cut back to Iris, uh, your last days in Chicago Um, After the show of Vampiric Force, um, you were taken aside by some uh, members of the the Camarilla. They, in fact, uh, kind of dragged you before Elysium, which is when uh, the Camarilla meets to discuss all the matters of the day. Uh, And that's where the blood hunt was kind of announced. Luckily for you, um, your sire, uh, Walter Sims, uh, is a fairly powerful man. Um, He's a very, very old vampire. Um, And he managed to kind of sneak you out a side door. Um, However... In describing to you how he could set you up in Montreal, uh, he did warn you that you would have to essentially justify the vampire thing. So his recommendation was that perhaps you go through a vampire phase um, and that that become part of your performance and your your kind of like poetry and, and uh, essentially like take on that persona for a bit. Um, so uh, Emily really took this to heart. And yes, she is. She's really she's really swinging for the fences. She has like a spider brooch. Um, and she's she's been quietly uh, and kind of desperately encouraging you to lean a bit harder into it, which I don't think you would have done yet.
4: No, not yet. Yeah. I'm still not totally okay with. Elvis How clear
1: yet. is it to vampires? When there's a human around, like, is it just very obviously like she has a pulse and we can like hear it with our supernatural hearing or, um, is she actually pulling it off and like, we're not sure. Oh no, you you
3: can tell she's a human. Um, yeah, there's no, there's no doubt about it. All of you can, um, to some degree sense, uh, when, when blood is around. Um, that said, since you're all recently turned, uh, it's not like you just see her as like, it's not like you have predator vision, uh, or anything, but definitely like. Parts of your hearing will occasionally pick up the pulse. Um, any heightened emotion will definitely excite her. Um, Yi is definitely a vampire, um, okay. uh, as as someone working with Camilla would be expected. Uh, that said, um, both of you would have been instructed by your respective sires that um, thralls are common, a common, I was a common say, thing. Yeah. So I think you would both assume that Emily is enthralled to iris uh iris you and i know that isn't the case but i think from the outside it would just be like basically oh she's got a renfield this is nice okay um because there's a lot of ways to kind of exert your will over over mortals um and w- one of those ways is being friends with them which is what's going on <laughs> over here but other other ways uh, exist the, the other safer
2: there. more publicly approved <laughs> vampire ways <laughs> <laughs>
3: this is, yeah, yeah exactly um Great. So, uh, yeah, so Emily kind of disappears back into... Uh, I think she's one of the few remaining people who have a BlackBerry, so she's just, like, actively, like, typing away audibly
2: tactile keypad yeah, yeah 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 she she means business um <laughs> i look at her and go, oh you got one of those new phones check mon out. and i've got one of those old flip phones that does like t9 and nothing else <laughs> i also got this one and i take out another turns out i've just got like 15 burner phones and i'm just comparing them because i assume <laughs> hers is so old that she's throwing it away to make new calls like a criminal contact um
3: she's actually really impressed by all this she's like wow oh you that one has batteries that can last for two days and she like looks at you with like newfound respect and, and kind of like kinship. Like here's, here's a guy who gets it. (laughs) Um, but she does it in a very quiet, like, I don't want to be part of the spotlight way.
4: Yeah. Emily. No.
3: Oh, uh, I mean, um, I I can't talk to you right now. I'm sorry. I'm very busy. She goes back to brick breaker. (laughs) (laughs) remember brick brick breaker. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a show about phone
2: nostalgia. <laughs> um so eventually I pretend I'm busy too, but I just flip through the settings because I don't have games on phones this old. <laughs> you play like black and white Tetris. It's very <laughs> I just keep changing my ringtone. It's vaguely annoying. <laughs> oh gosh. Um I said on Samba. <laughs>
3: um so uh, Iris, you, you brought up a good point that I'd kinda like to to flash by everyone. Um all of you are recently turned. Um, you've had a, a little bit of time to kind of adjust, and all of you were lucky enough to have a sire or a mentor in in the kindred community, kind of explain what the score is to you. Um, but how do you guys specifically feel about being vampires?
2: I think it's a fucking upgrade uh, from a Ridley perspective because he's a guy who's been the low totem, like like the lowest level of the totem pole. Or like he's been very far down the food chain, and for him, anytime you get offered power, you just take it, like because you have to fight for power. So well, if this was given parts of it are super fucking creepy, but parts of everything he does are super creepy. Right.
3: And also I think for you given that you're on the verge of death, this is just like a bonus ride. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, cool. Uh how about you, Everett?
1: I think for Everett it's a little bit more of a tricky tricky situation. Um I think the benefits are obvious. Um I think Everett is probably he's he's had it explained to him that he is basically going to live, you know, forever as a as a kindred. And I don't think he's really kind of like looked at that, Mm. um, looked that long into the future on what his life will be like or what his relationships will be like. Um, and he definitely has a hard time with blood drinking. Right. Right now. Um, just because of his background as a police officer and homicide detective. Um, like he's seen some nasty crime scenes and stuff like that. And now he is potentially like, going to create those kinds of crime scenes and that's that doesn't sit well with him do
3: you think he would have drank from a human yet i feel like uh your your sire um ellen fugues would have offered a human to you at first but based on the skills you've taken i'm guessing that probably tastes pretty gnarly
1: uh that's correct yeah um whether it's a result of physical changes or whether it's all psychological, yeah, human blood is not palatable to Everett.
3: Cool. And Iris, we, we talked about this very briefly, but um, you said you're uncomfortable with it so far. Is it just an adjustment? Is it this, this kind of new way of life? What's...
4: No, I'm goddamn pissed about it. <laughs> I was killing it at the human mortal game and now <laughs> this has messed everything up. Everything's gone to crap because of... Walter Sims. Because of Walter Sims. And now I have to deal with a whole other slew of things other than what I want to be doing, which is just making things better.
3: Vampires make things better, right? No,
4: <laughs> not so far.
3: Well, that's about to change as you pull up to um, the sucre to sanguine, the blood sugar, um, which is a small um, sugar shack operation. Uh, Essentially a uh, maple syrup Um, You can see a bunch of maple trees Um, There's a bunch of taps around And kind of a small tourist uh, Very like It's a kind of like a sugar shack is essentially a place where people distill maple syrup and, and sort that out um the front is very tourist friendly but also looks very abandoned like hmm. you can tell that these guys like you know it's like a an, any farm that's really like gone out of their way to be like look we're a tourist attraction but they're in the middle of nowhere so no one's ever been here right yeah um so it's got a, a big, colorful sign, um, but more importantly, um, out uh, out in front uh, is a guy who looks exactly like Gee, uh, except uh, he's got a beard uh, and he's he's shaved his head, uh, and he stands up and he throws his arms in the air, and you can see he's wearing um, like a sort of a classic um, flannel onesie, uh, the kind of like the butt flap. Um, and he's like, oh, you brought these guys. And he's like, yes, these are these guys here. Um, and the, uh, the van pulls up and you are introduced to Hugo Bouchard. Uh, so the Bouchard brothers uh, have been vampires for a very, very long time. Uh, but unlike a lot of vampires, their ambitions are somewhat more limited. Uh, and they're very patient. So they've been running this sugar shack operation essentially to keep an eye on Montreal and to allow, um, an easy inroad into the city for whenever the Camarilla decided to activate them. Um, you get the sense almost immediately that if you were the Camarilla, you probably would never activate these two. And yet, <laughs> um, by circumstance, uh, here you are.
2: Hey, friends. It's Ryan, but like regular Ryan, as himself, talking about Dumb Dumbs and Dice. Yeah, so I'm one of the people behind this show. Obviously, you're listening to the show. You're loving this show. Somebody's doing great. Probably probably not me, but like Tom. He does really good work. Tyler does really good work. uh third person also does really good work i don't know what show this is on but the important thing is that you can support the show and join the show at patreon.com slash dumb dice that's right that address that i totally just said go there join dumb dumbs and dice support the show it's gonna be great
3: um they invite you in um uh, Hugo is, uh, sipping from a, uh, sort of a, like a flask of blood, uh, which he offers to all of you as you come in. He says, oh, please, please, uh, you must be so thirsty from your ride. Uh, you want, uh, want a little bit of the good?
2: Nah, I'm good. I'm going to wave that off as well.
3: Okay. No. Emily is like almost putting her hand up and then like looks at Iris and then puts her hand down. She's like, I don't know. I'm just trying to fit in. I don't know what to do stop okay i will i'm sorry ma'am <laughs> um so uh you come in and it's it's just like think like a sort of a classic cabin thing there's like a roaring fire um kept behind a very very heavy iron grate uh that keeps it far away from the vampire folk um you can see there is a recently slaughtered moose uh hanging upside down um that uh is dripping into a, a pail of blood um and uh, you get the sense that with the lack of visitors out here, uh, there probably aren't too many uh, humans about for them to drain. Uh, that said, you are immediately strucken by how many wolf pelts there seem to be. Um, just sort of like a big wolf skin rug, and there just seem to be kind of pelts everywhere. Um, so they welcome you in, uh, and they say, uh, we, ha- we, have the- we have something for you to uh, makes this all a bit easier. Uh, just uh, give us uh, two seconds, and they-, they both disappear into the kitchen.
2: Looks like these boys have a problem with fucking wolves, (laughs) am I right?
1: (laughs) Honestly, I I thought they were big fans. Best their whole decor around it. We're going to have to ask him some fucking questions
2: about the wolves. I'm curious. So, I understand why I'd have you here, because you're a PI, so you're here to ask questions, and I'm here to fucking punch things. What, What brought you here, now that you write books and thoughts and such,
4: you do you understand that I have a lot of influence and people listen to me?
2: I don't know if you, I haven't like met you before, so I know you're right,
1: but I didn't know if you like talk good.
4: Uh, yeah, <laughs>
1: <Really>? <laughs> I think
4: I got famous.
1: Emily's- really, I think Iris might be here for the softer touch. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> wow, right.
4: I'm, uh, this is gonna be fun.
1: Yeah, um, Emily uh, just kind
3: of scooches over to you with like um, Iris's TED talk. Um, which is playing like on a like fucking media player or some shit on BlackBerry, but she just kind of shows it to you on mute and is like, look how
2: many views. It's impressive, Emily, but you know what? I, f- I fucking know things, okay? You don't need to fucking show me. Uh, and I uh, slam it shut. <laughs> Wait, the Blackberry? What is you it a Blackberry? It was. It's, it's, it's broken now. Yeah, it's broken now. I folded it no, in half. Dude, it's a Blackberry. It just bounces off the floor. <laughs> oh, I thought I would reach over with both hands and just fold it. <laughs> okay, so it shuts. Where there is no hinge. Yeah. yeah, tiny
3: keys fly over. And she goes, oh, oh, oh um, okay. I guess I'll have to take that cell phone upgrade that they keep trying to sell me. Uh, there go all those pictures of my cat. <laughs> uh, she goes and sits in a corner. Um, Anyway, so um, after a moment or two, um, uh, the Bouchard brothers come out, um, and you can see that they are carrying um, three vials uh, that seem to be kind of um, blood with something kind of almost metallic and oily in it. Uh, And they say, uh, listen, we we thought this might be a problem. Uh, You... you, um, uh, you don't speak uh, French, uh, so we, uh, we uh, talked to a friend of ours, a warlock of some note, we got these for you. Uh, so uh, here you go. And they, uh, they hand you each one of these vials. Uh, they explain that by drinking it, um, it'll just kind of gently alter um, your essentially brain chemistry. So yeah, you'll be able to speak fluent French uh, as well as understand fluent French. Everyone will just sound. You'll speak in whatever language you normally speak. Uh, it will sound like French to others and so on and so forth. So essentially universal translation solution. Um, and they kind of like gesture to
1: you to drink up. Okay. I would like to watch one or both of you drink it first. I think we're both going to watch her drink it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Iris, you're good to just drink this? Here, yeah, i drink and- it. Yep. Great. Uh, so bottoms up, uh, you knock it back. Uh, it actually tastes really good, mm-hmm. which is surprising given how gross it looks. Um, and, uh, sure enough, um, you can kind of feel like a weird tingling in your throat. Um, and, uh, then, um, you go to you and goes, oh, uh, so did it work?
4: Oh, yeah. Your horrible accent's gone away.
3: And so is yours. This is really good for <laughs> both of us. Uh-huh. Uh, honestly, I, I, I hate speaking that, that you, have horrible a beautiful,
4: you have a beautiful voice. Thank you
3: very much. Uh, you know, uh uh Guy and I uh, sing a lot, uh, and oh. so you know we both have these beautiful voices. But uh, also, I, I'm kind of uh, a little bit offended that you didn't think I had a beautiful voice before. It when little, I,
4: I'm sorry, love. It was a little bit abrasive.
3: Okay, well, it's easy to be abrasive when you're speaking a garbage language. Uh, Are we just
2: watching these two people have a conversation, conversation in, in, fluent in French? In French yep. I, seeing them
1: both speak fluent French, I will also drink mine now. This will be the ultimate proof for me. <laughs> <laughs> if Ridley starts speaking like perfect French, <laughs> <laughs> then I'm like, okay. Um, like, so, she seems sophisticated enough that maybe she just was <laughs> she just knew french keeping french in her yeah. back pocket for <laughs> she, a big dramatic reveal she, but she had you a drink can and can speak French. yeah yeah uh
3: so um he turns you uh, slaps you on the 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 meaty shoulder and says oh good uh you drank
2: it too huh yeah well, i fucking drank it uh, you fucking saw me
3: uh so everett um it's french but in in like classic like deep quebec ang- like
4: is it anglicized for him so
2: it's, like it's got
3: a he, thicker his, Quebec his accent, accent. <laughs> His accent's so
4: bad That even drinking this It's still Like yeah. Je suis An idiot Yeah
3: right? Yeah Like it, it's It's a rough It's My a rough
2: goes sweet. to Fuck you yeah.
1: <laughs> My goes to I think it's Bullet <laughs> Bullet Tooth Tony yeah. I believe Who's like Bonjour yeah. As he's like Killing someone <laughs> Yes Yeah 100% J'aime so, l'autobus so, God <laughs> Yep
4: Oui Mon
2: livre
1: I apologize. Uh, any Francophones listening? <laughs> yeah. I'm opening up my
2: <laughs> <laughs> yep to do my fucking tajous.
1: <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, so with that, I shrug and, and drink. Yeah, you're drink seeing. Mine. You're seeing
2: Ridley speak his version of fluent. <laughs>
3: <laughs> All right. So uh, yeah, Everett. Sure enough, uh, you knock it back. Um, unlike the other two, this uh, this does taste um actually um ridley this would taste gross to you as well uh given that you're both uh ventrue and you have uh oh fuck then we have to do like a test don't we uh in this case no i'm giving you a pass on this because it's a plot device um well, but yeah. given that it's because it, you're not drinking this for pleasure <laughs> but it it is it's distasteful in the way you imagined a magic potion served to you by a crazy man in the woods would taste whereas to iris this is just like a Uh, A tasty beverage To the point that um, It's I think the equivalent Of drinking like A nice cocktail You didn't think Would taste good Like if you had like A tequila cocktail And you're like Oh no it's gonna be awful And you're like Oh fuck yeah I've just been drinking Bad tequila my whole life It's kind of that You're (laughs) like This is That's a pleasant surprise But to the two of you It's like motor oil It's just really Unpleasant
1: Gotta do the job I'll uh, no, I'll turn going. my back and drink it so no one can see my face.
2: Okay, cool. So um, nice.
1: You drinking over there? <laughs> Fucking oh, yeah.
2: secret, yeah. private eye, keeping things private. Everybody don't notice the private eye doing
1: some private drinking.
4: No, he's just a wuss who can't hold his liquor.
1: <laughs> and after I like grimace and gulp it down, I'll turn around and kind of show the empty vial. Oh, oh, he did it! Wow, I I, I didn't know. Uh, what a secret!
2: I mean, maybe he poured it on the floor.
1: You speak French now? <laughs> I don't know, do I? We. Oui. And, and it comes out like, you should say, but uh, I was gonna, I don't know. It all just sounds like English to me. We got to trust a French
3: guy. Uh, yep. Uh, and literally, my name is Guy and I'm French, so trust that French guy. Uh, great. Well, I'm glad we started that out. I think that'll make things much easier for you um, here in Montreal. Uh, there's a lot of English speakers, so you can probably get away with your native tongue, too. But if you need to blend in at all, uh, there's certain vampires. Certain members of the Camarilla have a real problem with people not speaking the language. Uh, it's usually the, like the sort of older European, like, you know, there's a lot of, like, Italian vampires who are just kind of like, ugh. Uh, but they've been around for a long time. So, so do we know, have to
2: over? consciously switch between... Uh, the front case uh, and the for you, for you, it'll be
3: fine. Yeah, just uh, nice. whatever whatever your intent is is what what'll come out. So don't worry about it. Honestly, this guy's really good. Uh, also, we'd really appreciate it uh, if you don't tell uh, any of the higher ups that we have a friend who's a warlock. That would be pretty good.
1: Sure. Um, are you folks supposed to be the ones who are briefing us on why we're here? Oh yeah yeah yeah. Sorry,
3: we just uh, wanted to get the the French thing out of the way first, so we didn't have to yeah, try and speak that. that. Fucking English garbage anymore. Um, yeah, great. So uh, yeah, pull up a seat. Uh, just uh, grab yourself a, a pelt rug there, and um, we'll we'll fill you in on what's going on. Uh, so, as you know, Montreal uh, for years and years and years uh, has been in the hands of the Sabat um, under uh, sort of a variety of archbishops. Um, the uh, the Sabat have had a, a stranglehold on the city, and uh, you know the Camarilla have launched a few a uh, few attacks. There was uh, that whole uh, ugliness with the Inquisition a while back. But ultimately, you know, it's just uh, it's an impossible city to hold. But with all this about just dumping out of the city and a lot of the elders leaving to go deal with that antediluvian nonsense uh, in the Middle East. Uh,
1: you, wait, did anybody fill you in on those? Do you know what those are? We're pretty green to the whole vampire status oh, right. I mean, I know, but you can fucking tell them if you want to. Uh, can you roll me
3: a... Um, what's the first roll of the game? Uh, I'm going to say a manipulator... Uh, Persuasion? Yeah, well, yeah. So the way um, skill checks work in this game is you roll with your attributes and your skills. So it'll be a combination of the two. So for this one, I'll definitely take Persuasion and I think probably Manipulation because you're you're lying. Yeah, that makes sense. I take Charisma as well, but you're you're doing it in a pretty brutalist way.
2: Those are both identical for me, so.
3: (laughs) Dope. And um, so uh, you'll add those two numbers uh, based on how many dots you have in your sheet. Uh, Also, because all of you have Hunger 1, Uh, you have to swap one of your dice out for a hunger dice. The way hunger dice work is if you get success or failure on them, or if you get, like, a critical on them, uh, interesting things can happen. Uh, So go ahead. Both Guy and Hugo are looking at you disbelievingly. Uh, Two successes. Two successes. Great. Um, So they kind of look at you disbelievingly, but also you seem kind of tough and also very sure of yourself, so maybe they just misread you. I mean, you, you might know your shit. Um, so they kind of nod and they say, oh, oh all right, well, well, we'll tell these two.
2: Men. I, like, cross my arms and gesture towards them knowingly. <laughs> Great. Um, so they explain
3: that... Um, a lot of uh, a lot of vampire history has been lost uh, over the generations, uh, and a lot of uh, there's a lot of mistruths kicking around, and uh, to their mind and, and the Camarilla's mind, a lot of lies. Uh, the biggest of which is the idea of the Antediluvians, who were um, the sort of founders of the the, the major clans of vampires, uh, who've been around since the the supposed great biblical flood. Um, all of them have been missing for years and years and years, uh, but. Um, the Sabbat particularly believe that uh, upon their destruction, uh, they can bring about Jenna, which is the uh, the foretold vampire apocalypse. The Camarilla thinks this is all a bunch of bullshit, um, and uh, they're as a result um, fairly skeptical about this idea. That said, there has been something um, affecting a lot of the older vampires, known as the beckoning, which is uh, almost a a bone deep call to return um, to sort of the cradle of civilization in the Middle East to attempt to possibly protect these ancient vampires. And the Sabbat have gone in huge numbers to, to carry on this war. Um, As a result, Montreal is suddenly very, very ill-defended. There are a number of younger Sabat who remain and who have kind of shored up the main defenses of the city. But for the very first time in in ages, uh, there's an actual chance to establish a foothold. So the Bouchard brothers have been lying in wait, uh, living in the woods and helping to manage the lycanthrope problem that still uh, besets a lot of uh, rural Quebec Um, waiting for their chance to kind of smuggle a team into Montreal. So basically, they'll take you... Their job is to provide, um, A, a safe harbor outside of the city um, for you to kind of use as a launching ground. Um, Also, because of their SERP operation, they actually have connections throughout the city um, and have been operating a delivery business pretending to be their own descendants for years and years and years. Hmm. And, And as a result, make regular deliveries around the city and as a result can kind of smuggle things in and out that you might need. Um, but, uh, their, their ultimate dream is to kind of help establish, um, a new, uh, for the first time, a prince proper in, in Montreal, which is sort of the, the regional ruler of, uh, of the Camarilla. Um, so they're very excited to, to get a chance to do this and they're basically your, your point people. So they're definitely not city folk, um, but they are incredibly good smugglers, uh, during Prohibition. They were rum runners, um, and they, they have SERP operations sort of throughout Quebec. So, um, they've been told essentially to get you into the city, um, and to provide any kind of outside assistance that they can. Um, they've identified a neighborhood that seems pretty, um, ripe for the taking as it were, um, where there seem to be enough troubles that you could kind of get in and, and actually establish your own order. Um, So to kind of give the details to all of you as to to that, um, each of you knows that there's kind of a major thing you need to accomplish fairly soon to kind of establish yourselves. Iris, for you, as a a known celebrity, you need to establish a reason why you're in Montreal, uh, as well as establish why you're doing this vampire thing. So essentially, for you, the challenge is you're an internationally recognized artist who has moved to a new city for no reason and no longer goes out during the day. So it'll be up to you to kind of establish what that is and figure out how to kind of blend into the society of the high, the artistic society and the high society of, of Montreal. Um, to that end, um, Emily uh, gets to talking with uh, with Hugo about um, possibilities for uh, accommodations for you, um, and something kind of befitting your, your rank. Um, Everett, for you, um, you know that, um, Harvey Grimm, your, your old, uh, partner from the force, uh, has retired, uh, up here and is running a, he retired to Montreal to become a comic, but is essentially spending most of his time as a PI because, being a,
1: Must not be working out too good for
3: him. No, I mean, you know, who knew a guy who's never done stand-up who just shows up and assumes that all of his cop stories will go over
2: real well in Canada um, isn't doing so well. So, An English-speaking comedian went to Quebec to tell pro-cop stories? <laughs> How could this possibly go wrong? Yep, that's <laughs>
1: many ways. So, must have met Harvey.
2: Sounds <laughs> just like him. Yeah.
3: So um, Everett, your your job is um, as as you've been uh, informed by um, Ellen, who again is is a, a, a camera agent. Um, anarchs are trying to seize the town for themselves. Um, your job is to stop any bre- major breaches of the masquerade. Uh, and the easiest way to get established there would be to reconnect with Harvey, um, and go from there see if he has any leads to things that might be vampiric in nature, and basically pick up exactly what you're doing in Texas here in Montreal. Um, Ridley, for you, um, there's a lot of uh, organized crime in Montreal. There's a real opportunity for the Note Nostra to get a foothold in, um, and your goals sync up with the rest of the Camarillas. So your goal should be to find uh, a legitimate business that you can use as a front and kind of as a gang headquarters, and then begin to build a gang that you can use to control start to seize control of of Montreal. So essentially finding a headquarters of some sort, whether it's a bar or a failing business or something, figure out what they need, give it to them and seize control. Um, so he's identified about a two block radius that he thinks you guys could all very easily sort of infiltrate and sink into. Um, and, uh, with with dawn rapidly approaching and, and sort of uh, time to tuck in, you've got a chance to ask a few questions if you want uh, to make any preparations, and then uh, the following evening uh, at dusk, you'll set off for Montreal proper. Uh,
1: so Everett's been given uh, Harvey Grimm as his as his contact. Um, was he told by um, by Ellen? whether or not the uh, Bouchard brothers would have more info on on Harvey or anything like that um yeah I mean the the Bouchards aren't exactly they're they're really are like
3: essentially smugglers and traffickers so they don't have a ton they don't of information information yeah they, they're not huge at information um, also they're just even though they're they're very genial folks they're they're not uh, sort of brainy investigative types they're kind of street wise
1: get in get out Kind of guys, um well actually I guess we would say ever ever would say um gee, we noticed you've got a fine collection of wolf pelts all over your home here uh, is there a story behind that I mean uh, you know every
3: every werewolf's got a story, but uh most of them end at uh the end of one of our blades you know what I'm talking about
1: you you two are both blade fighters.
3: Oh, uh, when the need arises. I mean, werewolves don't go down easy, and you got to make sure they stay down. So uh, when when they're either in their human form or their wolf form, we uh, we make sure they don't get back up. And he kind of taps the pelts, hmm. um, and uh, they both kind of share like a, a kind of like dark chuckle, but like uh, you know, always kind of hard to transform back
1: when you don't have uh, have the casing anymore. If you know what I mean? Well, me, I've never seen a werewolf. Oh, well, you're standing on one. <laughs> what I mean to say is, what's it like to fight one? And should we expect some?
3: Oh, they're uh, they're vicious motherfuckers. They, uh, there's very few things that, uh, that can harm our kind. Uh, as, as I'm sure was explained to you, uh, we don't like fire, and they kind of like look at the heavy metal grate. Uh, we don't like blades. Uh, decapitation's a real problem. Uh, but uh, werewolves, they, uh, they're one of the few things that can take us down. You really don't want to deal with them in a fight. I mean, we we got these a lot by by trapping and being uh, being sneaky about it, but no, you don't want to face one in open combat. But don't worry, they they very rarely venture into the city anymore. Uh, they're mostly there's a, a very large werewolf population in kind of the wilds of Quebec. Um, that's where they, they they tend to prowl. Um, but uh, if if they're in the city, something's gone gone real strange. That said, without the Sabbat holding the city,
2: who knows? So I would like to know you've got this place you think we should go to. So who owns it right now? Cause there's no place in the town as mobbed up as fucking Montreal that there's nobody running a block. Well, that's the
3: interesting thing. Uh, when the Sabat left, uh, they left a vacuum. Uh, so the Anarchs moved in pretty quick and a lot of the gangs have been tied up fighting them. So this particular, uh, neighborhood, uh, we know it's got some, uh, we know, uh, the, the orphans, uh, the biker gang, uh, you may have heard of them. They, uh, they've, they've, They've been mixing it up around there, but it's it's on the edge of their territory. It's far enough away that they shouldn't really be there. They're just uh, they're trying to rebuild. They uh, they got wiped out a while back during the Inquisition, so they're just kind of rebuilding their ranks. And uh, in addition to stirring up trouble with the other biker gangs like like the Angels, they're um, they're just edging they're edging into new territory. So if you leave this too long, it'll be gone. Uh, but uh, the offense,
2: are they vamps or are they just fucking odd boys?
3: Yeah, no, they're they're vamps. They're they're a vamp uh, biker gang. Um, they've been operating out of Montreal for a long time. As I said, they uh, their leader, uh, Pierre, he uh, he left for a long time after, uh, you know, back in 98, the, the gang got wiped out mostly. But uh, he's he's putting it back together, uh, particularly with the sabbat out of the way. He's got he's got a lot of room to move. So you might have to might have to deal with them, but uh, you know you're going to come up against them at some point anyway. So better now than later. Uh, Iris, you looked uh, you looked particularly. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't want to say freaked out, uh, but
4: I didn't know vampires were real as well. I didn't know that was a thing. Werewolves. werewolves? Sorry, very, uh, Yeah, yes. Sorry, I didn't know werewolves were a real well, thing. It seems as like well, it's all but, is um, new. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's kind of terrifying.
3: Oh yeah, they um, are terrifying. You're, you're right to feel that way.
4: Great. Uh, Just
2: to be clear, though. Santa Claus, fake or real? Guy looks to Hugo,
3: and Hugo's just shaking his head at him, and Guy's like, pretty sure he's real. And he was like, fucking no, man. I've told <laughs> you. It's me. It's me. It's been me since mom and dad. Oh, sorry, you're, you're coming in on about a century-long argument we've been having.
2: I'm just saying vampires are real. Werewolves are real. Santa Claus, possible. He points at Ridley and is like,
3: you fucking see? this guy he gets it
4: okay i need to i need to sleep and process all of this but um i have one request so when you're um setting up my accommodations in montreal with emily just uh if you know anybody who is well connected who can kind of connect me with a few people who can you know inform me about what's going on around town Preferably people who know who i am like my work people that i can trust if you know any of networks of that such that can...
3: Are you famous? And Emily's just like, oh, uh, uh, guys, uh, uh, yes, yes. uh, Dory, Iris, I I got this. We'll 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 figure it out.
4: Great. I just need informants. Perfect.
3: Um, So um, uh, Guy and Emily continue to chat. Um, Hugo kind of shows you to... um, He just like cranks, like pulls the rug aside and pulls up a like a, a classic kind of trapdoor situation um, downstairs. Uh, you can see there's a bunch of like very, very old casks. Uh, clearly this, this used to be a, like a moonshine operation. Um, you can see a bunch of the casks, uh, seem to be blood stained. Um, and, uh, there's, there's coffins set up for, for all of you. Um, they are, you know, it, it's, it is kind of a cabin situation. These, these things are, are pretty basic. Um, I think, um, Ridley, this, this looks fine, probably fine to you. I mean,
2: you know. Yeah, I just immediately strip nude and then climb into one of them because I'm not getting my suit dirty.
1: Everett's pretty uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, look, uh, I've been sleeping in my car up to this point. Is there a couch I can crash on or something?
3: I mean, if you want uh, if you want to drag it down here, sure. Uh, just, you know, uh, you're going to have to get used to the box someday, man. It's, uh, that's, that's part of the gig.
1: Yeah, well, not today.
3: Uh, all right, well, uh, I guess make sure to... Put out the fire before you, you 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 put down for the day, and uh, you're gonna want to close those those shutters. I mean, the, the the trees give us a lot of protection. That's why we've been out here so long. Oh, and um, you know, I, I'll just I'll I'll deal with the door. But uh, if anyone knocks or if anyone comes by, you just don't don't open it. Sure, great. And um, Iris, uh, you're staring down a wooden box for the night.
4: Emily, I need the satin coffin pillows, please. <laughs>
3: Uh, Emily comes like rushing down with like one of the designer, what kind of designer luggage would you have Prada Prada, uh, rushes down with like a Prada uh, suitcase, opens it. And yeah, there's just like satin and pillows. Um, there's like a single rose. Uh, she takes a few minutes setting it up. Uh, she puts like a scented candle on a thing. She kind of like creates a nightstand for you or one of the barrels says, uh, will there be anything else? Uh, tonight.
4: No, that's it. Thank you. Okay.
2: Love you. Love you. Sleep well. Yeah, I just, I pull my underwear off. So I'm fully nude and I'm like, you have a good night, love. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wow. covered in prison tattoos. <laughs> I just like climb into a thing and shut the lid on myself.
3: Um, she kind of like pats the top of yours and says, uh, uh, good night, sir. Uh, and then she like sees you ever leaving up the stairs and she's like, uh, good night,
1: I guess. I don't say anything. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, and then uh, she goes upstairs, uh, Gee hands her a shotgun and says, uh, "I'm really glad you're here. Oh, she doesn't have the vial. I'm really glad you are uh, here. Uh, you You watch the door for us tonight, huh? And she goes, um, "Yeah, we oui, I shall watch the door. Um, Good night, I guess. Uh, sorry, do you have any human food? He's like, "We have syrup." And then he <laughs> fucks off downstairs. And as the sun begins to rise, Emily checks the chamber. Cox and locks the rifle and begins her day-long vigil.
2: <laughs> Looking forward to a day of moose meat
3: and syrup. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Blood and Serum features the voices of Ryan Laplante at the Ryan Laplante on Twitter Tyler Hewitt at Tyler underscore Hewitt on Twitter and Megan Miles at Maggie Miles on Twitter featuring storyteller Tom McGee at TV on Twitter this episode was edited by Tom McGee and all of Dum Dums and Dice's art is by Decapitated Markers at Decapitated Marker on Twitter that's M-R-K-R our theme songs are What's Really Going On Right Now by Chase Allen Willis and Traffic by Ty Engel and all our ads Tracks No Control and Chiefs by Ar- Jahzar, J A H Z Z A R. All of their music is available on FreeMusicArchive.org. When it comes to Dum Dums and Dice, you can visit our website at DumDumDice.com. Our Twitter and Instagram are at DumDumDice, and on Facebook at Facebook.com/DumDumDice. You can also get merchandise at redbubble.com slash people slash dumdumdice and you can join our Patreon darkness. Patreon.com slash dumdumdice That's D-U-M-B-D-U-M-B-B-I-C-E Sleep well, children of the night.
2: Ah, 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 ah. Spooky. Dumb Dumbs and Dice has to give a special thank you to the supreme beings of our Patreon at this time. Christian Menicola, Long Long, the Half-Blind Prophet, James Quayar, DM Rob, Christopher Little, Joshua White, and Jill and Noel Laplante. If you want your name to be added to this list, you can join our Patreon, too, at patreon.com slash dumdumdice. Thanks to them, and a little bit of thanks to you.
0: The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. <laughs> This is routine update log number six for Dr. Edison Tucker concerning my research into the town of Jerusalem, Oregon, and the existence of the supernatural, paranormal, mythological, etc, etc, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, since arriving, I've definitely encountered some stuff that could be classified under weird ass. I mean... Where else does putting lamb's blood on people's doorways actually work as pest control? And nobody in town will talk to me about the picnic area near Lincoln's farm. Although, could be because everybody thinks I'm one of those monster-hunting idiots. Which I'm not, okay? I am an experienced professional who takes my work extremely seriously, and I am going to prove this if it's the last thing I ever- Dr. Tucker, what have I told you about keeping samples in the fridge? Although, to be honest, I think the biggest mystery on my hands is how I'm going to survive living with Lucille Kensington, stuck-up extraordinaire. So, if you guys don't hear from me again, it wasn't something in the woods that got me. Probably. Where the Stars Fell. Available now wherever podcasts are found.